You should be the host here. I really love it, aren't you? We're both monster people, diehard monster people, and we want them to do well. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neve Briggs. Nobody knows monster rugby better. I'd like to think I know a lot. Hello and welcome along to the Red 78 here on the Rugby Channel. I'm Alan Quinlan and with me as always is Neve Briggs. Uh, we've got to our 20th episode, uh, Neve. That's good, and we isn't haven't it? killed And we haven't killed each other yet, Quinny. Not, not yet, not yet. Um, we've had, uh, I suppose, there's a feeling, I have a feeling anyway, that we haven't got to that real kind of business end and big games. Um, there's lots of, of course, there's lots of big, important games. Um, Europe is behind us a few weeks and when you have fixtures during the Six Nations which was never supposed to happen um, obviously they were postponed fixtures down to COVID and and, and stuff like that um, we need the season to ramp up a little bit now but we, and we'll talk a bit about it at the end when Munster plays Saturday week they're going to have nine nine weekends uh, successive weekends so that's going to really test the squad so uh, I'm sure we'll it'll, it, between here and the end of the season it's uh, it's really going to ramp up Um how was your weekend anyway? Were you playing? We were. We played um, Old Belvedere in, it's kind of like a dead rubber because the, the AI final that's taken place this weekend is, was already fixed. So Black Rock and Ray are going to be in that. So we play um, Belvo again this weekend in the third four playoff in a, kind of a big um, domestic kind of uh, day of rugby. So everything is taking part and energy apart. There's three games there. So it's going to be great for the game and live on Tichy Garher, which is brilliant. They've been a huge advocate for, for women's rugby. Um, so, yeah, look, disappointing again for us, but um, we'd made a lot of changes and gave a lot of young girls some AIL kind of valuable game time for, for next season. So, um, yeah, disappointed not to be in the final this Saturday. Are, are, they, are, they, are they double headers on the same on an energy park? Yeah, so we play first and then the conference final. You remember I was telling you that the AIL is written too. So Setonians play Gorbegians straight after us and then at half seven then is the, the final that evening. Um, Black Rock Railway, which could be a cracker, no doubt, two very good teams. So, um, yeah, still a bit, um, you know, sore that we're not there, but um, we'll definitely have learned a lot from the season. You, you, and on the you, back of that... You'll want you know, UL Bowes, obviously, to win. Um, yeah. But look, there's four teams there on show. Will you be watching from an Irish point of view as well? Oh, absolutely, Six Nations yeah. is four, four, yeah. four weeks away now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a big day for for them because you get to see girls under pressure at the at the highest level in terms of our domestic games. So how do they react? How do they play? Um, so it'll be great. Look, it's going to be a great day, and I hope that lots of people come out and support us. Um, and then you know, so from that disappointment to the high of Spurs winning, Quinny did Liverpool a favour, three two. Did Liverpool a big favour? Yeah, Harry, really Harry Kane. What a performance! I think he was just trying to show Pep that uh, he missed out in the summer, but um. Yeah, no, great win. Great win. Brought you back into league. Yeah, big time. Yeah, big time. Really happy with that. Um, As always, we want you to be involved. You can always tweet us at Rugby Channel 15 or at either of our personal Twitters and leave a comment on the YouTube YouTube video. Uh, We have some thoughts here from the weekend um, on Munster's performance and... Munster's win, to be fair. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. um, I put put a tweet out yesterday just to see um, there's lots of, of messages. Uh, Adrian O'Donoghue, great performance, bounced back really well. Zebo Hattrick was a warm feeling about. There was a warm feeling about it. Two moments stood out. Clote running with Farrell still held up over his head. Uh, from that was from the kickoff and Casey sweet reverse pass to prevent ball going into touch. Um, 
Neve Baron Marks, Munster have had a very had very few complete performances this season. They're in good parts. They are good in parts, and then it becomes very disjointed at times. We've talented players. We need them to start using their rugby brains. Not happy, Neve oh. Baron Marks. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can see, kind of see her point of view a small bit in terms of not not about using their rugby brains, but they definitely. It's very difficult at that level to be consistent and and literally be so ruthless for 80 minutes. Very few teams can do it. Leinster can um, because they've been playing at that level for a long time. I thought first 20 minutes once were really good. I thought they weathered a a good Edinburgh storm uh, throughout the game. Definitely inconsistencies in terms of what they'd want to do from a defensive point of view. There's there's plenty of mistakes and stuff. We'll get into them in a minute. Um, Peter Graham, I saw Edinburgh play London Irish in the Challenge Cup. They are a gritty and streetwise group who constantly walk the line. So any bonus point victory against them must be considered a good result. Well, I said it last week, a bonus point win would be a good result. Um, we'll talk about the stats in a minute because I, I, they were really interesting. Sometimes stats can lie, but the stats would suggest if you didn't see the scoreline that, um, that Munster didn't win the game. Michael Coveney, Fantastic results, but they fell off the pace a few times during the game. But it was worth it, the admission charge to witness Craig Casey's sublime reverse pass alone. Well, was outrageous. Just, yeah, just on that on that point about falling off, um, I think there is a certain element um, with this side at times that they do, you know, they've sustained periods of pressure and do lots of good stuff. And then they seem to switch off a little bit and, and come up with a soft error which brings the opposition back into it. I think in all levels of sport, um, if you're coaching, you know it as a coach as well, they're the kind of small moments, pivotal moments in a game that you really want to kind of turn the screw and and it takes time to learn that and to be ruthless. Um, so Michael's point there is is uh, is, is is very relevant. Ger uh, Hawk, uh, a good win, great to see Killer flying around on his big night. Yeah, well, look, that's, 200 caps for Dave Kilcoyne. We will talk about that. Um, I remember running out onto Tommen Park myself for my 200 cap against the Ospreys. Um, it is special and it's a milestone that um, he deserves a lot of credit for, particularly you know, with him being involved with Ireland for so long as well. Uh, Marie Boylan, we were always going to win that match with a bonus point. That's uh, brave. We made hard work of it. Um, let Edinburgh back into the game too many times. Can't do that in with bigger teams. Well, that's the point we're making. We need to have much more of a killer instinct, reduce penalty count and stop relying on tries in the dying minutes to get bonus points. Yeah, similar kind of theme about what we're talking there about um, letting teams back into the game, games. Whether you do that or it's a conscious decision, I just think it's about coming just more clinical in certain areas and frustrating the opposition. Um, But, it's a point well made there. Uh, James Harrington, Edinburgh made Munster look better than they are. The unforced error rate was very, very high. Well, the unforced errors from my stats, turnovers conceded were 12. I think they were 18, 19 last week against Glasgow. So there's a bit of a reduction there. And when you analyse any match or videos, I think there's two areas that you, you want low and that's the penalty count and the turnover count. You want them low. Obviously, you want your set piece numbers high and and a high percentage around breakdown and stuff. But turnovers um, and penalty count were probably a bit too high. Uh, Ray Desmond, hi Alan. I'd call it a weak win. Edinburgh were poor. 
and Munster were only just a little bit better. No disrespect to Steve, but I've, I've I have a dog at home who would have scored four uh, four tries in that game. Oh, well, that's a bit that's that's a bit tough from Ray, isn't it? Yeah. We will talk Look, about Simon Zebos hat yeah. in a few minutes. I, I, I know to be fair, like obviously majority of those tweets are are kind of similar in terms of yeah, good performance, good win. I just don't I, I don't know if people give enough credit to to Edinburgh. I think they you know, Blair Kinghorn was excellent at ten, a really, really good playmaker, super player. Um then you have the likes of Buffelli on the wing and uh, Moya, um uh, they're they're three Argentinian for back three, super players. And Mark Bennett at the center was I thought was one of the best players in the pitch, you know, a, a former Scottish sevens, GB sevens star, and and he created that hole for Moya to go in and um, and score that first try. And I think the big thing is that you know for the first twenty minutes, like I was doing commentary for that game for a local radio station, Limerick, and first twenty minutes I was like, this is brilliant. Like the intensity that Munster went around the corner, how square they were in their carries, their ability to move the ball very quickly. It got over the game line quite easily. Their set piece was really good. And before you know it, they're 13, 13 points up, I think. And then you're thinking, okay, like this is going to be a, you know, a complete under whitewash. But then one small defensive error, uh, Edinburgh get a get a, a try and then very quickly follow up with a penalty. And you go from 13 nil up to 13 10. And, you know, that's that's probably those kind of inconsistencies that we're, we're talking about. Yeah, and they're the moments that kind of allow teams back into it. It's 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 sometimes it's the defensive decision. Um, Edinburgh actually one of the top three sides in in the three major leagues. You know, in the, in, in the Premiership, uh, the, the URC, yeah. and, and top fourteen at keeping the ball through phases. So they're right up there at their ball retention. So they're a very dangerous sides. Um, Immelman at full back is a bit of a monster. I think he's he's a brilliant player and. You know, Fenter up front, he was spiky enough uh, throughout the game. Adam McBurney, uh, very good players, Edinburgh. And not not kind of as many household names as Glasgow the week before, but a very settled side who were very, very dangerous. I know they have a number of players away with Scotland as well, but um, they, made it, they, they made it really difficult. I just want to talk about some of the stats, and this is something that kind of... Maybe comes down to control and and a bit of ruthlessness from from Munster. Um, I went through the the carries that the forwards had on on Friday night, and remember, you're playing a home game. Um, you're on the back of a loss the week before. I know the weather conditions were really difficult for both sides, but I just think the carry count from the forward pack is, is low. I'll just read them out: Dave Kilcoyne four, Dimmer Barron one, Stephen Archer two, John Klein seven. Finney and Witchley, four. He got a try as well. Jack O'Donoghue, five. Chris Clote, five. And Gavin Coombe, six. I just think collectively that's a low number. Uh, I know, but if you flip that around, Quinny, so in the first 20 minutes, because they were getting such front football, they were able to go to width very quickly. So there was a lot of more backs that were carrying in that sense. Like Chris Farrell carried a lot in, that, in those moments of play. Um, and then for the next probably... 40, 50 minutes of the game, Edinburgh had all the possession. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I think Oh yeah, that, no, I know sometimes stats yeah. can lie, but I'm I mean yeah. I mean yeah. you're used to Sander. You're used to Sander carrying 25 times in a game. Do you understand yeah. what I'm saying? 
Yeah, I know, but I, I just think that um, this isn't a criticism. It's just it's no, a low, no. I'm just it's saying a low, that, it's yeah. a low it's a low number for a pack of forwards. And I think if I was in that pack, I'd be disappointed. Um, I know sometimes you don't have the ball, you got to kick it, you play for territory, and it stop start and all that kind of stuff. And I think Munster, you know, uh, it's not a criticism. I think as you say in the first twenty minutes, they were putting the ball through the hands, so there wasn't guys carrying the ball. And in fairness. Um, they had 106 passes in the game. It's not their highest. Um, Edinburgh had 169 passes. But the possession then, you know, 59% possession for, for the away team in Tolman Park is something that jumps out to me. You know, Munster won the game 34-20 with a bonus point win. And we acknowledge that. But I just think you're talking about control, taking the sting out of the game, controlling the tempo and and. They could have done that better on Friday night. Okay, they came up with some errors again. And, you know, this team is trying to learn and develop as they go. They're far from, you know, from being where they want to be. I'm sure they're working incredibly hard. But territory as well, 54% territory um, for Edinburgh. So 59%, 54%, they're they're pretty high for the away team. And Munster had 30% possession the second half. A lot of that was down to the second half. Bar the first 20 minutes, you know, as you said, Edinburgh had a lot of the ball. You've got to figure out, Nave, a way to get it back and to hold on to it yourself and to, you know, carry in in in, in tough conditions. Um, okay, so we look at the, the, they're the carries. Yeah, but can I just say something to you? And I agree 100% with some of the stuff you're saying. I, I, for me, though, a big thing about this Munster team that we probably wouldn't have seen beforehand was their ability to come up with scores at crucial times. So brilliant, as we said, straight out of the bat, really good first 20 minutes. And then Edinburgh really getting on top. And right on half time, Sebo comes up with a try. It's probably his first touch, proper touch in the game. And you're thinking, Edinburgh are thinking to themselves, oh my God, we've just dominated the last 20, 20, 22 minutes or whatever it was that, you know, and we're 13, uh, 10 down. And then all of a sudden you're going in and it's what, 20, 10 at half time. And then after the first half begins Edinburgh get a quick penalty and then they look like they're going and they get another try and you think okay we're, we're kind of onto something here and then all of a sudden you know Munster click into gear and Sebo gets two tries if you understand what I'm saying so their ability to probably break that trend or stop that Edinburgh momentum at crucial times was, was definitely important. something that we haven't seen a huge amount so very important um, and yeah. people, people te- a couple of people text me after the game saying that it was a scrappy win hard fought all that stuff I was pretty impressed with what I saw. Um, you're always going to have some errors and mistakes and just some decision-making in the right areas. Yeah. Um, and of course, they're trying to learn that. But, you know, when you get the bonus point win, but if you want to strive, and we're talking about striving here to be a team that's incredibly hard to beat, they've got to protect the ball a little bit better, yeah. make some more sensible decisions. They'll know that themselves. They won't need us to say it. Just from a fan's point of view, that's the general consensus that it was scrappy, uh, lacked a little bit of control at times, but that Zebo try, that that was a really important one just before halftime, as you said, yeah. and that and that's you know good teams, and maybe that was that was that was something they can build on going forward. It's just before halftime, you know the the, the periods yeah. before yeah. halftime and after halftime, and under Joe Schmidt with Ireland for years, people were giving him his team so many plaudits about. You know, scoring just before halftime and even coming out in the second half and really kind of putting, uh, you know, putting the opposition under pressure and coming up with underscore. So it was a really important score. 
in the context of the results because Edinburgh were right back in it, full of confidence, full of belief. I'm just going to move on to the tackles because it's, it's worth kind of teasing this mm. out. Um, the tackle count of the forwards, which was high, uh, Dave Kilcoyne, 14, Dermot Barron, 12, Stephen Archer, 8, uh, Jean Klein, 20. Um, and week after week, Jean Klein, I just, I know he still has a, there's a perception after what happened at the World Cup and the way it was disappointing and he got selected over Devon Toner. And sometimes I think it's a little bit unfair. He's not the most skillful second row, but he's a brute and works his socks off. He 20 tackles, Finney and Witcherly 13, Jack O'Donoghue 7, Chris Clote 11, and Gavin Coombs 19. So they're high. And I, I want to reiterate the point for the listeners. This is not a criticism because I've played in matches and you know, my stats have been low. But sometimes you're in the right position, you don't end up making a, a carry or a tackle, but you're, being, you're, you're playing to the system. We used to always slag John Hayes um, because John, in fairness, works so hard in games, but he would nearly always be a pillar or, or, or a post beside the breakdown because that's where you wanted John if someone was picking and going with respect to him. But you know, sometimes he only had three tackles, four tackles. But you could count 25, 30 rocks where John was killing himself to get there, to be in that position. Scrum half looked up, saw John Hayes and said, I'm not going to be wrapped up by him or run into him. So stats can lie sometimes. Um, the carries one, my point about the carries, is, and, and again, if you're coaching a team, I always love the fact that if you can get your three or four ball carriers in your pack getting into the early teens, mid-teens with carries, it means that you're, 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 you're penetrating, you're, you're working, doing the hard yards, um, you're giving pivotal points for, for, for your back line, your scrum half to, to, to run off. Um, and that, you know, look, the, 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 the flow of this game was stop-start at times as well. So tackle count very high, carries low. Um, John Hodnett came on, made 11 tackles and four carries. John Ryan, seven seven uh, tackles. Niall Scanlon, 11 tackles, you know. So that, again, they're indicators of the, what way the game was was going. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, Edinburgh, had, I, and we've spoken about it, they hold on to the ball really, really well. Bar a couple of probably indecisions or, um, you know, poor probably decisions in and around their system of defence and stuff. I, I, Edinburgh never really troubled the, the monster line. Like, there wasn't a huge amount of pick and jams. There wasn't a huge amount of, you know, pop passes. They, they Like a lot of their territory and their possession was in and around the two 10-meter lines, if that makes any sense. And um, so, yeah, look, I do think that... A big thing for me is that we, we associate Munster's um, defensive structure of line speed and energy. And I felt at times, maybe because they were doing so much of it, that they just didn't have it. If that may, you know, they, they, they kind of seemed to be a little bit flat in terms of their defensive energies. But for the most part, I thought, you know, when you're given a team or an opposition that amount of territory, that amount of possession, um, and you, you know, you, you concede 20 points, 13 of them were in, you know, the... Or, I said 10 to 15. On two occasions, Edinburgh came back to one score game. Um, yeah. Dan Goggin, 13 tackles, and Ben Healy, 11 as well. I think one crucial point, in, and a crucial point in that second half was when Edinburgh had that five meter um, penalty and they tapped and went with, um, gave it to Venter, who was very powerful. And some hit by killer. 
yeah, it was it was uh, dislodged the ball. Um, John Ryan as well, I think. Yeah, um, they just, dislodged the ball. It was the line speeds. If you if you go back and watch it, Killer is literally standing out of view of Venter, and the minute that um, Venter taps the ball, Killer just literally closes his shoulders in and comes up and hits brilliant line speed. And he celebrated that like he celebrated a try for sure. Yeah, uh, it was. was uh, we got a fist bump. We got a fist bump. It was brilliant uh, desire and energy, and that's what you want. You want people to step up like that. So. Um, quick synopsis. So overall, um, a really important win, I think, from in, in the context of the league table. table. Um, and, you know, with the game being at home as well. Um, so, you know, your overall synopsis, they're back up to Munster, are up to fourth, Four. five, five points off Leinster, who were back on top. So they're back in a fairly, pretty decent position. Um, strong, a lot of tough games coming up in the next nine, ten weeks, but your overall impression, quick synopsis. Uh, mixed yeah, bag very from, happy. A mixed bag from the tweeters, but yeah, um, no, I, I, I was impressed. Yeah, I was too, to be fair, and kind of bonus point win, the wind was howling, like it was swirling so bad, and Ben Healy kicked very well, I thought, um, and I thought they, for a big thing for me was their fact that they were able to turn the screw at crucial moments, something we hadn't really seen a huge amount of them do before, so yeah, good win, very good win. Standout performers. We'll talk about the, the hat-trick here in a few minutes. Um, Jack McGonagher, who was immense. Yeah, he was. Big immense. performance from him as well. Klein, and, and, and Jan Klein, immense, I thought. Clotha was huge for his 50-odd minutes or whatever it was. He played for a couple of big turnovers. Um, he really is so good on the ground. And then obviously, you know, the, the one that's gone viral, holding Chris Farrell over his head. Outrageous strength, but um, yeah, look at thought and, and I thought Ben Healy moved the the backline around very well. So uh, yeah, some good good performance. For okay, okay, they don't play Munster play on Saturday week against the Dragons, yeah. so that starts that run. We'll talk about the fi- fixtures in a few minutes. Um, we're going to move on to we can, we're not going to move on yet. We have to mention the man of the moment, Dave Kilcoyne. We're talking a little bit about him in ago. Two hundred caps for Munster. This is a significant milestone for 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 any player. Um, I'm lucky enough to to have got over that 200 cap mark as well. There's a number of other players, and um, we're starting to see a few in the modern era: uh, Stephen Archer, Billy Holland, uh, now Dave Kilcoyne joined some of the the old foes that have gone before them. It's a brilliant achievement for him. Yeah, massive, considering that he's away with Ireland a couple of times a year as well. It's huge. And like, I was only looking up there this morning, you know, that 200 club, uh, the Donners, you obviously mentioned uh, Billy Holland, Raj Stringer, Marcus Horn, John Hayes, their good self, Mick O'Driscoll, Wally and, and Anthony Foley. And I just think they that if you're a Munster supporter, a Munster fan, you know, they are the legends of the club. And for Dave Kilcoyne to join that is super, I think, um, very well deserved. I thought he was excellent the other night, considering he's been away with Ireland and hasn't happened in a huge amount of game time. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was brilliant. And and, I, and to be fair to him, you know, he was supposed to get it before, uh, just after Christmas and uh, pulled up sick on the morning of the game, um, which I, I had heard that he was going on all week about how great he was to get his 200 cats. And um, so to finally get it over the line was brilliant for him. Um, great win, great performance. But um, like that list alone, 
Jesus, like some of the legends in that, and yourself, of course. But uh. <laughs> you're not you're not categorizing me as the legend, but I don't want you to. But no, it is. I I, I, I genuinely one of uh, people often ask, "What are your best moments?" And obviously, winning the Heineken Cups were was really special. Some big trips to France and stuff. But I remember in 2010 um, running out uh, first um, against the Ospreys. And literally, Paul was captain, I think, and he let me go out my own first. And I, I didn't really know that was going to happen, but I just think it was it was it was a really special kind of tingling feeling in in your in your inside of me when I just felt that God, I've been you know, two hundred caps is a really nice achievement to have, um, and it was really special. And I'm sure Dave Kilcoyne felt felt that as well as did Billy Holland. Um, and Stephen Archer, incredible servants as well, and all the other previous players you mentioned. So it's uh, it's twelve now that are over two hundred caps. I'm sure many more will because lots of these guys have been around for a fair bit, and um, to get two hundred caps for for your home province is is really special. Class. Yeah, class. it is. So we're going to move on to uh, are you watching Andy Andy Farrell piece this week? And I picked Simon Zebo. I picked him because. Uh, I, I of the three tries, um, and also my belief in his ability or what he can do, and he's he's like a striker in soccer. He's just a finisher, and he has this ability to you know find a little bit of gas, be in the right place, at the right moment. Um, I know the the you know the first try wasn't. You or I would have scored that, Nave. We, we, he was close to the line. <laughs> Brilliant hands from Ben Healy and Chris Farrell. Um, but I just think the other two tries were his ability just to send someone making a line break, that bit of anticipation, be in the right place. And I think the bonus point tr- uh, tr- try that he got, he just has this incredible surge of acceleration. And I just felt when he got the ball, Ben Healy did really well to fix the defender. And then Zebo gets just on that outside of the of the Edinburgh winger and can just surge past. We're, t- we're talking about stats here. We have to be. Um, I know Zebo. We're giving him massive credit here for for scoring the tries. He'd probably kill me for saying, "Well, he didn't really touch the ball much. He's touched the ball. He'd four runs in the game, and three of them were tries. So he didn't have a huge amount of all involvements, but he had an incredible impact." at the right moment. So the reason I picked him, as I said, was because I believe that Simon Zebo, and we know he has this X factor. He, we know he can kind of light up the crowd. He's only played, well, he's only started seven games this season. He's played six games and 20 minutes because he was sent off against, um, against Ulster between illness, injury, um, and the COVID disruption. He, he hasn't got a run of games and he's the kind of player that needs to, to nearly get four or five weeks on the trot to get his match fitness up. Does he need to be fitter and sharper and work harder? Possibly, because I think the, the the whole makeup of, of modern day wingers has changed. You know, yeah. your work rate needs to be through the roof. You need to be a ball player. You need to come in field. You need to be chasing kicks. Um, and if I was saying strengths or weaknesses, strengths are brilliant finisher like a striker in soccer but the weaknesses possibly are are some of those things what do you think 
Yeah, look, I agree. I think his his ability to anticipate a line break is class. Um, I think he's he literally any little sniff of a line break, he runs incredible good lines that it's very difficult to stop. Um, you're right, he accelerates onto the ball so well. Um, and a couple of other things, he's got an incredible left boot that I don't think we use enough. Um, and secondly, his range of passing is actually really good. So if you ever got to see him play for Racing, you know, when he's playing full back, he used to come in as a second uh, playmaker and be able to send the likes of Kurt E. Beale and Tay Tama down the wing, and um, but with incredibly good flat passes. And we, we haven't seen that either, you know, this season with Munster. So I, I think people don't probably give him enough credit for his overall um, abilities. Is that though because... Is he a product of how Munster play at the moment, or is it a product of the fact that he, you know, he doesn't work enough off the wing? Um, and I think it's probably a bit of both, to be fair. And I'm sure he'll he'll be the the, the first to admit that. I just think that um, when you have a player like him with that X factor, that talent, and I don't like to compare players because it's never about that. But when you look at the likes of Matt Hansen and James O, who are up there at the moment with the Irish camp, they they're constantly looking for the ball. They're constantly moving. They're constantly working off their wings. They're constantly offering themselves in tight spaces and then have the ability to bounce back out to the width. Um, and that's probably an area of work that, I don't know if it's an area of work that he needs, that needs to work on. I just think you've, you've hit the nail on the head. I, I just don't think he's played enough games to be that sharp. Yeah, he's, he's, just, he's, just played, he's played against the Sharks, the Stormers. They were the first two games in yeah. Thomas Park. He scored two tries. He played tries. very well. He scored two first, tries, yeah. uh, length of the field one. Um, Sharks lost the ball and, and everyone goes, Zebo's back. They're chanting Zebo. Um, we haven't seen enough. Shark Stormers, Connacht, Ulster, which he got sent off for yeah. uh, against um, against Ulster, got that red card rescinded. Wasps, Glasgow and Edinburgh. So um, he's 35 caps for Ireland. The last time he played for Ireland was in 2017. Um, that was before he went to, to Racing. He's back now, says he has the desire and wants to play for Ireland. And that was the main reason why he came back. Uh, but I do, I do agree with you. And um, look, Simon doesn't need us telling us, telling us what he should or shouldn't do. But I just think he has natural ability that's you can't coach. It's it's hard to coach. He just has this X factor. For me, he's one of the most talented players in the country. Right. Okay. So yeah. if you were a coach and you're you're standing in front of one of the most talented players in the country, and he sent you, why am I not on the Irish squad? What would you say to him? Work harder, get fitter. It's not even a case of working harder, get fitter. I just think you need to incorporate a game plan around him so he gets his hands on the ball as often as possible. I think. And to be fair, he needs to play matches, as we said. Yeah, yeah, and and so, like Jimmy O'Brien's been calling to the Irish squad this week on the back of playing a lot of matches and playing very well for Leinster on the basis that um, you know the Irish players were in camp. And, um, you know, Zeebo just needs more games, I think, more games to get that match sharpness and an ability to to be able to, uh, you know, move around the park in terms of offering himself as that second playmaker. I think it's a little bit harder from the wing position, but um, I just think he's also an incredible passer and we just don't see a huge amount of it. And I'm sure Andy Farr will have taken notice because obviously when you score three tries in a game... yeah. Um, uh, the, the Irish coach will will have taken notice. He's thirty one in March, I think. 
Yeah. Um, Age so is only a number. <laughs> yeah. So look, I think there's still there's still a great opportunity for him with New Zealand coming up. Um, November International, Six Nations next year, World Cup. Um, and I think it'd be I think it'd be great if he could get back to that level again because I think he has the ability and um he scored three great tries. Um it reminded me when I played underage soccer and uh I was lethal from about one yard. I scored loads of goals from about one yard, but I didn't uh if you if you if you had to get me to make long shots or anything like that or or, or dribble past people, no good. But Zebo can run. He can pass, he can kick. Um, so he has everything that's required. But I think, you know, the, the template is now, uh, whether whether you like it or not, is all about work rate coming in off your wing. And and that's an area where he probably needs to show Andy Farrell that he can do, and he can do it at a consistent level to, to, to get back into that squad because he has incredible natural ability and talent. And he brings a kind of a, a jovial kind of spirit to, to whatever group he's with. So... Um, that's my uh, Andy Farrell are you watching piece for this week so um, we're just going to have a quick chat about um, really quick about Ireland Italy Um, we covered the disappointment last week Um, they're probably fortunate in a sense that there's not as much pressure this week Um, maybe pressure sometimes is good but if they were playing England this week um, you know they have a chance now to, to kind of recover click back into gear Italy have been poor so far and they've a number of players out injured as well and a few more after the weekend um, with their clubs. Should there be any changes? I think the big debate would be, Neve. should... It looks like Johnny Sexton is going to be fit and available. He's the captain of the team. The debate will be, should Joey Carberry start against Italy and get another run out or should Johnny Sexton go straight back into the team? There's for and against, in my opinion, but what's yours? Yeah, I, I agree. There definitely is for and against. I just think that, you know, coming up to the last couple of weeks, the tournament, then, you know, you will have Johnny Sarton and Twickenham and, and Murrayfield, or Ireland versus Scotland, sorry. I would start Joey this week. I think another week starting, um, and then you're also not running the risk of um, Johnny uh, reoccurring that because hamstrings are niggly, you know yourself, and um, you give him maybe 20, 30 minutes off the bench, then he's in good stead for the following week's training and and then on to the two last big games. So um, that would be my opinion. I do think that Joey played very well against France, and I'd love to see it, um, to love to see him kind of expand on that and evolve around that with the confidence knowing that you know you've got another start as opposed to trying to make things happen coming off the bench I don't think there'll be many other changes other than that I think momentum is huge for this team now I think that's the way they play um, I like the fact that they're so competitive and they've, tried, they've got such a good culture there that you know we're not going to make a rake of changes for the sake of it we're going to have everybody to earn that that, that jersey to start and um, I think off the bench we might see see some changes. I think I'd like to see Killer come onto the bench. Um, I think his performances last week warranted it. Um, and yeah, I think. What about um, Craig Casey and Gavin Coombs? Yeah, I, I think that's a difficult one because I think um, Gibson Park, you know, is obviously that number one at the moment. We take Murray 
off of out of that squad and he hasn't played a huge amount of game time in the last four or five weeks. And if Gibson Park, you know, gets injured in the first game, first few minutes against England, then you're expecting Murray to play 80 minutes having had very little game time. I think that's unfortunate, but I think that's, that, that's the way it is. In terms of Gavin Coombs, um, I think it's very difficult to squeeze into that, to that back row. You're looking at uh, dropping either O'Mahony and um, the big question is... But we need, know, we need to see him at this level. If he's, if he's kind of in the squad, this is a great opportunity to, to put him in there and see what he can do. Um, Craig Casey got his first cap against Italy last year. So this is the game that if these guys are good enough to be in the squad, I think there should be some changes around. Um, I know we're talking about the Munster players here. Craig Casey, there's an argument to say yes about Conor Murray, then he won't have played for a few weeks. But maybe Murray and, and Casey will be the halfbacks. Who knows? It will be really interesting, though, to see. Joey Carberry Sexton one is the big one um, because mm. everyone has an opinion on that. I think there's certainly value in, in, start, in starting Carberry again and hoping that he can kick on and get his mojo back um, because we know he's incredibly talented. And then Johnny Sexton's drive, desire, commitment, um, he'll want to play and he'll want to get back out in the field and captain his country again. So that's probably one that, that's interesting. Just to finish, we don't have any real gossip or news because... Uh, we're still waiting on the, the coaching uh, ticket to be sorted, which is kind of running on. We're nearly at the end of February now and uh, for various different reasons, it's, it's, it's gone through a process that's a bit slower than Munster fans would like. I think they'd certainly love to have an announcement. Just on the Munster fixtures, we just a brief chat. Um, they've no game this weekend, but from the 5th of March when they play the Dragons, well, they'll have nine straight uh, weeks of matches. This is going to be a real test of the squad depth now, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And um, they've, in that bundle is uh, a trip away to South Africa, which is going to be incredibly Yeah, I just, I just call out some of them, Neve, and you can react to them. So they play Munster Dragons, then they're away to the Bulls in South Africa, away to the Lions in South Africa. They're back-to-back, so they're going back. Um, they'll be over in South Africa for two weeks. Then they come back and play Benetton at home on the 25th of March. And then they have Leinster away on the 2nd of April. Um, good preparation for the back-to-back Exeter uh, round 16 games, which are the 9th and the 16th. And then they're away to Ulster, home to Cardiff. They're incredibly difficult fixtures that will really test the, the, the metal of this squad um, in the next two, two and a half months. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that... You know, we've been crying out for consistency in games and, and we're now we're getting it kind of on the other kind of end of the spectrum. But uh, look, it's going to be very, very difficult. And um, But you're right. I think the fact that they've, you know, used so many players this season already, I think you said a couple weeks ago, 53 or 54. That means 58, 58. 58, actually, sorry, yeah. Jeannie. And, that, and of... that means now that they've blooded these young guys and given them game time so that when they need to use them over the next few weeks, they can do so, knowing that they're capable Okay, busy period anyway, and we'll have uh, loads of content to talk about and, and hopefully loads of interaction from, from Munster fans' opinions on selections, performance, and a really critical kind of period because, look, you need to win these games to be in URC playoffs, qualify for Europe, and then, of course, the, the round 16 games against Exeter. So the pressure is going to ramp up and uh, hopefully that they can get to a level that finds that bit of consistency and be in the mix for both both competitions. Just finally, the under-20s, or Ireland under-20s are playing on Friday night. 
brilliant win in France the last time. They're on track, dare we say, for, for a possible Grand Slam. Uh, Richie, Richie Murphy's done a great job and the players, but there's, there was five monster players involved in the, in the 23 against France. Patrick Campbell and Ethan Coughlin started. Um, their names are kind of jump out from the Wasps game over in Coventry and, and, uh, in December. And then you have Conor Maloney, Tony Butler and Dara McSweeney. So good luck to them uh, Friday night. I think Italy beat England in case anyone doesn't uh, didn't know that. And, and, and Steve Abood has done a huge, you know, he used to be with the RFU and he's gone over to Italy over the last uh, five or six years and he's done incredible work from their underage setup. Their under 20 side are really starting to, they've pulled out a lot of good results over the last couple of years. So, um, and he's incredibly astute, intelligent rugby guy. So, uh, uh, yeah, I think it'll be, it won't be a walk in the park for this 20 side. Okay, that's uh, episode 20, the Red 78, done and dusted. To make sure you get your podcast straight to your phone every week, just search for the Red 78 wherever you get your podcasts and press subscribe. Don't forget to get in touch with your thoughts. You can tweet us at the Rugby Channel or our own personal Twitter accounts. Um, probably on the Ireland performance this week and uh, looking ahead to, to, to the Dragons or any other thoughts that come out in, in the next week or so. Thanks, Neve, and chat to you next week. Thanks, Quinny. The Monster Rugby Podcast. Red 78 with Adam Quinnan and Neil Briggs. Nobody knows Monster Rugby better.